That's page 1007, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. But first, let us pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you so much that we have it freely available in this country in a language that we know and can understand and in a translation that is easier to make sense of. And Father, we pray as we come to your word, hear your word now and hear Andrew speak on it, we do pray, Lord, that you will open our ears, soften our hearts, and enable us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Amen. So Mark 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking round to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Oh, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, 
and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Margaret. Uh, do keep your Bibles open as we read and explore that uh, great passage uh, together. Let me pray again as we come to it. Father, thank you so much for this uh, astonishing story. And as we uh, enter into it, your spirit is at work in our hearts. Please may our hearts be thrilled by what we read and discover from, from your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I've got to ask... Uh, a question uh, at a school assembly just last week, and the question was, uh, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are the kinds of things that haunt you or scare you? Um, interesting, uh, one uh, year six, I think, said uh, tests and exams. I think they were waiting for the 11 plus results to come out that week, and I uh, understood uh, their fear. Um, another one shared their fear about not being liked what their friends thought of them. I thought, we grow up, don't we? But things don't change that much. Um, we love the approval, don't we? Or need the approval of others so often. But if I also asked you the same question this morning, what do you fear? I guess there'll be a, a wide range of answers. Perhaps fears over health, waiting for a diagnosis. Uh, perhaps fears about making ends meet in a cost of living crisis. Fears about the future, uh, failure. Fears for our family. Well, Mark's writing to a group of people in Rome who were, in some ways, uh, likely to be afraid. Um, Rome was just beginning to experience the sort of increasing heat of persecution towards Christians. And no doubt some were wondering, what does the future hold for us, those who follow Jesus and call him Lord? As the storm clouds of persecution gather, maybe they feared for their lives, that sense of foreboding growing. I don't know about you, but I've just noticed in this last couple of weeks just how much Mark seems to draw out this issue of fear in the stories we've been working through slowly over these past weeks. Disciples, uh, seasoned fishermen on, on, a, on a lake in a storm, fearing for their survival. And then strikingly we saw, didn't we, how that fear was replaced by a greater fear, a mega fear of the one who calms a storm with just a word. And then we met a Gentile community living in fear of a man possessed by a legion of demons, afraid of the supernatural strength and destructiveness that they are utterly powerless to control. But as Jesus confronts darkness and evil at its most terrifying, not even the entire legion of demons is a match for the power of Jesus, and he sends them packing. And in the face of such power, that community is what? Afraid. Afraid of what Jesus and his authority might mean for their lives. And they're begging him, aren't they, to leave the region. And then last time we met a woman, don't we, uh, who was herself uh, full of fear. Uh, but her desperate need and her overwhelming conviction that Jesus was her only hope means that she seeks him out and approaches him with this mix of faith and fear. And she simply touches Jesus, but uh, as she places her faith in him, 
she finds healing, restoration after those 12 years of unimaginable suffering. And Jesus, remember, deliberately brings her into the open uh, and as she approaches Jesus with this mixture of fear and joy, trembling, uh, she hears the most beautiful words, I think, uh, almost in in this entire gospel, spoken over her, daughter, daughter. Your faith in me has, has healed you. Go in peace, be free uh, from your suffering. Not just healed physically, but obviously too, restored to her community uh, and restored as a beloved member of God's family, true daughter of, of the King. I hope as we heard those words last week that we heard those words resonating in our own experiences as God says those words through Jesus over us too. Reconciled made part of his family, daughters and sons of the king. And we saw it last time, we don't need to live in the fear of, of sickness or suffering. Jesus assures us that it won't have the last word. Indeed, we can be absolutely confident of the promise that he gives us to bring an end to all sickness and suffering forever as we come to him uh, in, and put our faith in him. Well, again, this morning, uh, fear, I think, features, doesn't it, in our passage. Jesus is surrounded by the large crowds pressing in, look down. And then we're introduced, aren't we, to this man called Jairus, who comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet. And he's desperate, isn't he? His fear, I think, is, is palpable. Death has come very near. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and her life hangs by the slenderest of threads. Notice Mark mentions that, she, that he is a, a synagogue ruler. Uh, we know, don't we, that the religious establishment weren't generally uh, huge in favour or, or pro-Jesus. And so for someone to come in his position, to come and fall at the feet of Jesus, to seek his help, that's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal. It's a huge risk, perhaps. But Jairus doesn't care, does he? He doesn't care. In this moment, what others think of him is so low down in his priority list. All he can think about is his precious dying daughter and so he comes to Jesus and urgently pleads for help verse 23 my little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live and for this desperate father it's very clear isn't it where there's life there's hope if Jesus can get to uh, his daughter before death does he believes she will live where there's life, there's hope. The next few minutes must have been sheer agony, mustn't they, for, for Jairus? The crowds are pressing in, precious minutes are being lost. Uh, can you imagine every single delay, every interruption only heaps on anxiety and adds to his fear? And then there's this long delay, this woman touching Jesus, uh, being healed, and then that conversation that follows. And if I'm Jairus, I, I'm thinking, look, this woman's been sick for 12 years. What's one more day? My daughter's at death's door. I'm about to lose her forever. And then comes the bombshell. Faces he recognises in the crowd. Uh, people arrive, don't they, from the house with news. The news he's been fearing most. Jesus, it's too late. Uh, it's over. And in a moment, all hope that has driven this man with all this energy to find Jesus literally just drains away, doesn't it? Where there was life, there was hope. But that hope is extinguished as death wins and claims his precious daughter. 
And the words of the friends express that reality bluntly, almost uh, brutally. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Look, Jairus, Jesus needs to get on with his life. You've got to deal with death. We haven't we, met hopelessness already in these past weeks. Disciples despairing of life, a, a woman ever finding a cure, a community trying to control but failing to control the power of evil. But there's something very final, isn't there, about this situation as death uh, intrudes. While there's life, while there's breath, we, we cling to hope, don't we? Even the faintest of hopes. But with that final breath, hope dies. Of course, that is the reality, isn't it, of death? That's its destructive power, crushing hope, bringing an end to ambitions and dreams, severing precious relationships in a moment, in an instant. The Bible's very clear, death is not normal. Even death at a ripe old age in our beds as we sleep is an intrusion into God's design for this world. To Christians in Corinth, Paul memorably calls death the last great enemy, one that we are powerless to defy or defeat. So no wonder we want to keep death don't we, out of our consciousness, why it remains that great taboo that we endeavour to sort of skirt around and keep hidden from view in society. I've shared this before, but I, I guess we do. We admire people who put up some defiance in the face of death, perhaps who, who laugh at it, make jokes about it. Uh, Woody Allen is a great person for doing that, isn't he? He says this, I'm not afraid of dying, just don't want to be there when it happens. And we smile, don't we? But we know behind the humour lurks a deep anxiety and fear. So here's Woody Allen uh, being a bit more honest, I think. The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and death. It's absolutely stupefying its terror. It renders all accomplishments meaningless. So much for the bravado. We're not laughing now, are we? Uh, just this week, I was in a card shop in the life events section, looking for a thank you card for somebody, but I, I, I found myself leafing through the, the cards for the bereaved and the grieving. Uh, there were no jokes. There was no black humour. Plenty of words penned to try and ease the pain. Death is nothing at all, said one poem on one card. Another spoke of life going on as it had been before, impl implying in some way it was business as usual. Platitudes and poems, well-intentioned, I think, but actually offering no real substance or hope. So what does Jesus say to this grieving father, I wonder? Well, we're told, aren't we, in verse 36, look down. And if you aren't shocked by these words, then I think you're asleep. Can you, just, can you imagine saying these words to a father who has just lost his daughter? Don't worry. Have faith. Uh, don't be afraid. Just trust me. Sometimes we, we can struggle, can't we, to find words when we are confronted with the crushing reality of death. That's for a colleague or a friend. It's never occurred to me to say these words to someone who's just lost someone. Don't worry, just have faith. It's almost a crass thing to say, isn't it? Uh, 
And unless you have something to back it up with, it's cruel. It's a terrible thing to say. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Okay, say that if you've got something to back it up. At best, it's just empty, meaningless platitudes. At best. Well, let's keep following the story. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. He's now at the house. Um, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. People crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. I was reading another uh, English translation of this passage, ESV, verse 39. This is what it says. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but only sleeping. The rhyme jars, doesn't it? It jars. It's like one of those cards in the card shop. It seems like Jesus is just not taking this seriously, treating this catastrophe almost as if it's something trivial. She's dead, and he seems to be saying, what's all the fuss about? You can't say that, can you? You've got some sort of reason, some kind of, something up your sleeve, or something. And notice the reaction to Jesus' words. While there's commotion and wailing, the child's not dead, but asleep, and they all laughed at him. One moment of intense wailing and weeping, suddenly laughter. It's not the laughter of the amused, is it? Perhaps it's that nervous laugh we do when we find ourselves in a really awkward situation. Can't work out what's going on. Uh, Perhaps it's a laugh of contempt in the face of words that seem utterly inappropriate, even sort of delusionary. And these mourners aren't stupid. They, unlike us, know what death looks like. They know the difference between death and sleeping. So they laugh, they scoff. But then notice what happens next. After he put them out, that's the mourners and relations, uh, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. What a moment. Just put yourselves in the shoes of Jairus or any of the others in that room as Jesus wakes this girl from from death. And I love the fact that actually here Mark gives us the actual words that Jesus said. Jesus spoke Aramaic. The language of writing was Greek. And here Mark gives uh, us the very words he says. It's as though Mark wants us to get the kind of intimacy of this moment, Talitha Kuhn. Our girls are pretty good at getting up in the mornings when they're about 12. Just occasionally I had to wake them up and I'd just perhaps walk into their room, just whisper in their ear, girly, wakey, wakey. And eyes would open and sleepers would wake. And now Jesus says the same words in effect. Wakey, wakey. And eyes that have been closed in death now flick open. And suddenly the words that Jesus said to the bereaved back in verse 36 make sense. Not platitudes, but an expression of power. Of authority over 
death. And here, as Jesus raises this girl from death, as easy as I might wake one of my girls from sleep, Jesus is not only telling Jairus, but telling us that we don't need to fear death if we trust the one who has the power to transform it and defeat it. The other thing that struck me this week is that Jesus doesn't do this amazing act of raising the dead with a great sort of flourish, does he? There's no big drum roll, no great build-up, just words spoken, perhaps whispered in her ears, but words with power to raise the dead. He just love verse 43. Jesus just raised the dead. And he tells, tells the astonished parents of this girl, uh, you should probably get her some Weetabix. She's going to be hungry. One moment, Jairus' world is imploding. Then suddenly, it's like a normal day, isn't it? Get her something to eat. She's probably a bit peckish. You see, Jesus has, in this mind-blowing miracle totally reclassified death. He says, for those who trust me, you can call it sleep. That's why Jesus says what he says to these shocked mourners. He's not coming up with platitudes and poems. He's driving home in the most clear and wonderful way that he really has beaten death. And it's as easy for him to raise this dead girl from death, to raise me from death, as it is to raise someone from sleep. Don't fear, don't be afraid, says Jesus. And those words would be platitudes, wouldn't they? Except here they're spoken by someone with a divine power to raise the dead. Just go in the Gospels, this is not a one-off. Jesus does this in other places. He raises the son of a widow. He raises his friend Lazarus. And before Mark ends this Gospel, we know, don't we, he will himself willingly give up his life He will submit to death, hung upon a cross to save us, but also confirm that unique power and authority over death as on that third day he rises, that first Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, ultimate proof, isn't it? Written large in history that Jesus can raise the dead. And we meet, don't we? We meet here on a Sunday, the first day of the week, as the church has done for the last 2,000 years because we celebrate that glorious truth together. I wonder whether Paul was reading this story just before he wrote these words to the Thessalonians. I love these words. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, Paul, he's reclassifying death, isn't he? He's taking his leave from Jesus because he knows Jesus died and rose again. Uh, a friend of mine uh, recently uh, had a trip to Rome, and he was telling me about the catacombs, the famous catacombs in Rome. Has anyone been to those places? It's amazing. It's, a, it's basically like a cemetery underground. And the deeper you go, the further back you go in history. And uh, my friend uh, quoted an epitaph uh, he'd said, he'd, he'd read, um, written bef- uh, before G- before. Jesus, the time of Jesus. And uh, it was very chilling, very profoundly sad. A young lad called Caius Junius Maximus, aged 11 years, 5 months. 
This is what the epitaph said. O relentless fortune who delighteth in cruel death, why is Maximus so suddenly snatched from me? He used to lie joyfully on my bosom. This stone now marks his tomb. Behold his mother. Tragic words, aren't they, of just hopeless despair. But as you go up high up in the catacombs, after the gospel has reached Rome, here's an epitaph on the grave of another child composed by parents who were Christians who trusted Jesus. Here lies Porcella in peace. Sorry, here sleeps Porcella in peace. Here sleeps Porcella in peace. She lived three years, ten months, thirteen days. Just changed the way that Christians thought about death in Rome. She's just sleeping. And she's buried by parents who know that Jesus is going to wake her up like he wakes up this girl in our passage. We don't need to fear death when we put our hands in the one who has that kind of power. But so for Christians, uh, staring down the barrel of growing persecution, possible death, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Trust me. We need to finish. But I want to just challenge all of us this morning as we reflect on this event we've read about and as we hear Jesus' words and see his power displayed. I guess if you're not yet a Christian, uh, the one thing you can't conclude having read this event is that Jesus is irrelevant. You, you can't even place him in the category of mildly interesting. Just a while back, the new scientists revealed that uh, we are a nation terrified by death. According to a poll published, almost 70% of Brits admit to being terrified by its prospects. One in five confessing to thinking about their death more than ten times a day. Interesting, isn't it? And one day I'm going to die. My vital signs will disappear, my heart will stop. And Jesus says, he has the answer to death. I can know that he will transform it. And I can trust him. Do you think, I... I that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes absolutely everything. Literally, it turned my world upside down. See, as a kid, I was, I was about eight or nine, probably older, maybe younger than some of the young people here. Um, yeah, uh, and I declared to my rather astonished parents one day that I wasn't going to school anymore. There didn't seem any point. And my parents reassured me that I was, <laughs> uh, for the foreseeable future at least, but demanded to know why. And my answer was this, if I'm going to die... There's no point. Okay, it's a bit weird, isn't it? That is a bit weird. But here's the thing. I, I've got the idea that when you do stuff, at, no, even at school, you're doing it aren't you, with something in view. You're looking forward to something. I'm going to pass my exams. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to you know, settle down. I'm going to earn some money. You can buy a house and have a family, perhaps. All these things. You're always thinking you're moving forward to that sort of line of activity for something next, something beyond but then you die. Death intrudes. And I just worked backwards. I thought, well, what is the point? That's how it ends. I guess I was kind of saying what Woody Adams was saying. Not quite so profoundly, perhaps, but, but if death wins, it, it renders everything, doesn't it? It's meaningless. It is something to fear. Thankfully, I did keep going to school, probably the right call. Uh, but even more thankfully, I soon discovered, I think after that conversation, that Jesus does really have the power 
to change death. But he really did take this little girl by the hand and say, Talitha Kum, wakey, wakey. And I knew that Jesus, only Jesus, had that power to transform death, even my own. I don't know what the worst, the last words or sounds I will hear as I breathe my last. Lovely if it was words of comfort and scriptures from friends gathered around. It might be sirens, it might be machines, I don't know. But I know the first sounds I'm going to hear after I've died. It will be the words of Jesus waking me up. And if we're Christians this morning, those who are Jesus' people, people with resurrection hope, that changes everything, doesn't it? It does. We had a great week at the Elgiva. I'm going to end with this. I had a great week at the Elgiva. Probably the highlight for me uh, was probably hearing Tobias on Friday um, telling me and us about his experience of redemption from gang life in Chicago. Redemption in the whole, this place of solitary confinement he found himself in. I remember I just spoke to him just before he went on stage. I said, thanks, Tobias, for coming all this way to share the story. Not from Chicago, from South London. Um, and he just said, I'm just thrilled to tell people about Jesus. Thank you for the privilege, the opportunity. It's good news. And when he said it, I knew he really meant it. Jesus is the great sin forgiver. That was a message on Friday night. And here we see that Jesus is the great death crusher. So we don't need to fear. We don't even need to fear death. That is good news, isn't it? That is good news. Good news to believe, to live in the light of this week, and to share. Let's pray. Well, I was thinking this, this week, if someone asked me tomorrow how my weekend was, I want to point people to the good news that we've been thinking about this morning of a, a, a Jesus who transforms death into sleep for those who trust him. Thank you for the, just the joy of being able to live with that freedom of knowing that you have that power over death, over my death. Father, we recognize we fear many things. Please may we have that right fear and trembling and that right joy in a saviour who defeats death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.